I think it's the third, yeah, my third time, yeah. And last. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, so I thought uh, tonight that um, I thought we might delve into a bit of Old Testament. And I wanted to talk a little bit about my old, my favorite Old Testament character, uh, Joshua. And having decided that I wanted to talk about Joshua, I then had to decide which bit of Joshua do I talk about? Because there's quite a lot. You know, some of it that we, we know well. I could have uh, fought the Battle of Jericho. Um, we could have had that part from Numbers 13, 14, where uh, Joshua and a number of other spies are sent and they come back and say, some of them say, oh, they're, they're very powerful. They're, they're like giants. We, we could never go and take the land and, and Joshua and Caleb uh, come back and say, no, we, we can do this. They have a very faithful uh, response. Don't be afraid of them, they say. There's that wonderful time that uh, when Joshua takes over leadership of the people of God, Moses has died and he, and he takes over leadership and God gives him those wonderful promises. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you. We used to sing that song, do we? Be bold, be strong for the Lord your God is with you. And then there was, uh, there's one of, my, my, one of my favorite Old Testament verses right at the end of Joshua when Joshua is about to, uh, to die himself. And uh, before he goes, he challenges the people about their commitment. And he says to them, whom are you going to serve? And there's that wonderful, I find a very, very personal and very powerful commitment. He says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So there's a lot in Joshua, but I was thinking and praying about it, but then I thought, I'd, let's, let's um, look at something perhaps that not quite so familiar, and thought that we'd look at chapter 4. So I'm going to read uh, from Joshua uh, chapter 4. And this is the part where, um, um, say, Moses, as we know, has died before they enter the promised land, um, and Joshua leads them up to the river, and they cross the river into the promised land uh, after decades of of wandering around the desert, finally they enter the promised land. So from uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, when the whole nation had finished crossing the river Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you will stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. It does get a bit repetitive sometimes, doesn't it? And as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. And Joshua 12, set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And this is where they are to this day. 
Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exhorted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as he stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their foot on dry land than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran, ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan, camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Father God, we pray that you would bless this scripture to us. Speak into our hearts and minds, we pray. Speak into our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Three months or so has been a long time, hasn't it? How have we survived, I ask myself? Three months. After a while, after three months, you, you wonder if you've forgotten what people look like. You wonder, will they even come back? Or will they be as good as they were before? But this week, thankfully, it all comes to an end. The football season is back with us. <laughs> We enter those days of, those early days of excitement and expectation. Is this going to be our season? Is this going to be the year when my team wins something? Anything? That is, if you're a proper supporter of a proper team, that is. My team, perhaps uh, you might know, is West Ham United. It's where I come from. In fact, my parents uh, met at the supporters club in the late 40s, so I could never really escape. Um, that's what happens with real supporters. You don't choose your team. Your team chooses you. And there are those who would say to me, how, how can you support uh, West Ham? They've never won anything. And I say to you, oh, yes, they have. 10th of May, 1980, West Ham won Arsenal nil FA Cup final. I know, I was there. I can even tell you the team, if you ask me. 
And then they say, well, that's, is that all they've won? So, well, no, we won the FA Cup in 1975 as well, and I can tell you that team. And then back to 1964, I can tell you that team as well. Bit of trivia for you, the last time an all-English team won the FA Cup, 1964. Each of these events is enshrined in the club history and in the hearts and minds of supporters. I often wonder, why can't we be as passionate about our spiritual lives as we are about our sporting lives? I don't know if you watched last night or even the night before the athletics on the, uh, on the telly. Um, Mo Farah and the way people just get so excited, don't they? I'm hoping it... Fortunately, Val and I have got tickets to be there on Thursday, Saturday and Sunday this coming week. So we're looking forward uh, to that. But people go get so excited about these things. Uh, I have to confess that uh, there was one time when I was doing a job application and the last line of my job application said, I have, I have three passions in my life. My faith, my wife and West Ham United. Brackets, but not always in that order. <laughs> And apparently the church called me for interview simply on the basis of that line. They thought, who is this guy who could write something like this? And I got the job. One thing we're not very good at is remembering our spiritual victories in the same way that we remember our sporting ones. And God knows that's what we like. He knows that we are people who've got bad memories. In, uh, in Deuteronomy uh, as Moses is issuing his final instructions to the people, um, just before they're about to enter the promised land, he says to them, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Because he knows that we human beings have this remarkable ability to forget what the Lord has done. So what we find in the... Uh, in the Old Testament particularly, is opportunities where God says, let's set up a memorial. At the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses builds an altar of stones to commemorate God's covenant uh, with Israel. And in our text tonight, we see God command his people to erect a memorial. We read in verse 1, when all the people have crossed over the Jordan, God gives some specific instructions to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to go over to where the, uh, the um, priests were standing in the midst of the river, and each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the 12 tribes of Israel. So after they crossed, these 12 men went back to where the priests were standing, and each man picked up this large rock. You can imagine what happens as G Joshua gives these instructions can't you? They come across the river and Joshua says, now what I want you to do is I want 12 of you to go back and I want you to get these stones. And you can hear them start to mutter. But we've had an early start. We've been up since five this morning. It's been a long day. We've just crossed the river. We're all exhausted. We've got family to look after. We've got animals to sort out. Tomorrow we're going to have to start building houses and shelters. We've got too much to do. We've got far more important things to do than go and collect some rocks for you. We're very good at that. 
Christians, we're always very good at finding more important things to do than that which God has told us. But God had good reasons for doing this. Before people, the people could move on into the promised land, they needed to take time to remember what God had done for them on that day. They might have wanted to rush on to the next thing. Again, we can be quite good at that, can't we? But they needed to stop and to build this memorial. Joshua says these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. But a memorial of what and for what? First, these memorial stones were to be a reminder of their own personal experience. In verse 6, this memorial will ask the children to ask, what do these stones mean? These stones were to be a reminder to those who were present of their personal experience of God. What they saw, what they did, what they heard, what they felt. It was to remind them of the experience of that day, their experience of God, of what God had done. We know that Telling our story is so important, the testimony of what God has done and is doing in our lives. And it's so powerful. And we need to keep a clear memory of it. We need to stop and reflect and give thanks. We need to build that memorial. We need to keep remembering. We need to share it with others. We may maybe need to write it down, but we must make sure we never forget what God has done for us. I'll be getting told off again for being, getting, getting a bit excited. But we must never forget what God has done for us. And we must do all that we can to build those memorials to say, this is the day that the Lord did this for me. Now there is a danger that we might get so wrapped up in the past we forget to live in the now. We can't just allow it to be a celebration of the long ago past. That's missing the point. We look back, we go back to these stones, back to these memorials, back to those times to encourage us in the present. We are celebrating, remembering what God has done in the past to raise our expectations of what God can and will do today. These memorials are not gravestones. Not something that died long ago, but something that encourages us now. Think of the, the, the times in your lives when you've perhaps been very close to God, when you felt God do something in your life. What did you do? What are you doing to build those memorials that would encourage you today? There are all kinds of things that evoke memories and, uh, and, and encourage us in the present. Memories of, uh, of places, memories of experiences, of God answering prayer, uh, of God's provision. I can remember times when God has provided for my needs, when I've learned invaluable lessons of faith. And I need to remember them so that they might encourage me. I shared a few weeks ago with our home group about time, uh, some time ago now, when just before uh, I was ordained and my time at Theological College in Lincoln was coming to an end. 
And for some time it was uh, fixed that my curacy, my first church, would be in Walthamstow in North East London. Unfortunately, there wasn't a house. Um, And I told the removal people that I was moving to Walthamstow and a couple of weeks before, when I still didn't have, they phoned you up and said, you couldn't be a little bit more specific, could you? And people were getting, not least me, were getting a little twitchy. But one afternoon, I was walking to college and I was approached by someone I didn't recognise. And she walked up to me and she said to me, is your name David? And I was a bit sort of, I'm not used to being accosted in the street by women. And I said, yeah. So she said, "Um, well, God has given me a verse of scripture for you. I want you to go home and read 2 Samuel 7 verse 10. And I thought, I said, I don't know if I remember that. So she wrote it down for me, 2 Samuel verse 10. And I went home and uh, and in 2 Samuel 7 verse 10, he's right in the middle of some wonderful promises that God made to David. Words that were brought to him by the prophet Nathan. And verse 10 says, I will provide a place for my people and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. What a wonderful promise. Next day, I get a call from the vicar saying, we've got a house. And the really bizarre thing about it, it was the local Baptist church. They'd been in interregnum for several years. So they decided to rent us their manse. But God being God, being faithful to them for their gift, within six months of me being there, they called a minister. (laughs) But I had a house to live in. And I, I learned that actually my home is not the place I live. It's my place in God. There are all kinds of experiences like that we need to remember to build our pile of rocks around them, to remind us. I know that if God looked after me then and provided for me then, he would do the same now. In those difficult times that we have, and we all know that they come. We don't, as Christians, live all the time on the mountaintop. In fact, little time is spent on the mountaintop. Most of our time is spent in the valley, isn't it? What can sustain us through those difficult times? What helps us when the questions and the doubts seem to overwhelm us? What helps us when God seems far away, remembering when God was close? Going back to those times when God was near. Going back to those memorials. Being encouraged. If God was with me then, if God provided for my needs then, he will provide them now. Because God doesn't change. They can be, these are memorials, they can be mementos of the past. If you uh, were to come into my, uh, I don't have a study anymore since we moved. I don't have a study. I've sort of um, uh, found myself in one of the smaller bedrooms uh, with wall-to-wall bookcases and and whatever. Uh, Val calls it my man cave. Um, But if you come in, you'll find various pictures of people that have been important to me photographs, you'll find cards that people have sent to me um, where they tell me about how God has used me in their lives. 
So when those, question come, when those little questions and doubts come in your mind, that little voice that says, for goodness sake, you're useless, aren't you? You've been no good to anybody. I can go back and I can read that because I know that this is what the Lord has done. Because these people have taken time to write it down and send it to me. Joshua wanted the people to build this memorial so each time they saw it, they would be reminded that they'd not crossed the Jordan by their own ability, their own strength, but because of God. And they would be reminded so that if he can do that then, he can do anything. If he can do that then, he can do it now. If he was with them then, he would be with them always. I challenge you to spend time gathering and laying your memorial stones. Let them remind you of God's faithfulness and what he has done for you. Of course, it wasn't just about these uh, stones reminding them of what God has done for them. It also gave them an opportunity uh, to, re- to speak to others. In verse 6, in the future when your children ask what these stones mean, tell them. Passing that on to the next generation. Sharing it with others, saying, now, I remember when God did this. As with other memorials in the Old Testament, the attention was not to only to evoke questioning from future generations, but also to be a signpost to a lost world. The last verse says, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. It was God's plan that the whole world would know that he is God. This remembering is not just about remembering what God has done. It was also time to renew commitment. As Joshua issued the order for the men to go back, he personally joined them. He went back to the center of the riverbed. And we're told that Joshua sent up 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. One of the arts of leadership is never ask people to do what you're not prepared to do yourself. And here we have Joshua personally going and building this memorial. A personal act of worship. It was something he needed to do. This pivotal moment of his life. If he was to lead God's people in this critical moment of their history, then he needed to renew his commitment that day. This great man of God has to go again and give himself to the Lord. I was challenged once by an evangelist who asked me, when did you say yes to Jesus? And stupidly, I started to tell him when I was a teen, about when I was a teenager and Jesus became real in my life. But he interrupted me and he said, I didn't ask when you first said yes to Jesus. He says, there has to be something a bit more recent than that. See, taking time to remember what God has done for us in the past is also a moment to say yes again to him. To be honest, it has to be a daily thing. God has loved me and walked with me, has forgiven me and provided for me in the past. And that means I would want to commit myself again to him for this day. 
and for the next day. As my faith is fed and encouraged, it should lead me to say yes again to Jesus. Joshua walks out and he says yes again to God. An act of personal commitment to say, Lord, I thank you for what you've done thus far, but I commit myself for what you're going to do. Not only was it an act of personal commitment, it was also a time that meant the whole people of God can move on into what had given. Not remembering, just remembering the past, but also leaving the past. We're told that on the tenth day of the first month, it's significant that it happened on the tenth day of the first month because that means it was exactly 40 years to the day that the Israelites had left Egypt. Anniversaries are almost as important as memorial stones. And as they left the edge of the river, the Israelites went to a place called Gilgal to make their camp. Gilgal means the rolling way, the rolling away of the reproach of the past. It meant that God was saying that this pile of stones that they were building told them that 40 years of spiritual defeat and failure had been rolled away. This memorial was not just about remembering what God had done in the past, but it marked a new start. It marked the dawn of a new, great new beginning in this wonderful new land. The days of rebellion and their refusal to respond to God were gone. The complaining was ended. The hopeless wandering in the desert was behind them. They were now a forgiven, renewed people with a powerful new sense of purpose, determined to take new territory with God. It was a place of renewal, a place of forgiveness. Interestingly, later on in the time of Saul, when there was a, a need to make a new start, where does Samuel tell the people to go? Back to Gilgal, a place where they can make a new start. For us, as we look back and we see those moments which stand out as times which God has met us so, we do so knowing that they give us a new sense of God's forgiveness for all that we've got wrong. Because between then and now, we would have made a lot of mistakes and God says, it's all right. We're going to make a new start. We're going to say yes afresh to God, but also put the, heart, the past behind us and take new territory for him. It's difficult. God knows it's difficult for us to move on if we're still tied down by the failure and sin of the past. And he says, I don't want that. I want you to be set free. I want you to be reminded of my forgiveness, to know that the past is gone. And a new day dawns. So what and where are your memorials? Have you taken time to build them? To rebuild those, to build those reminders of what God has done for you? If you haven't, can I encourage you to do so? To reflect 
to perhaps reacquaint yourself with your story again. Maybe to write it down. Share it with others to help you to remember. Important, as I say, it's important that they're not dry, distant memories. They're not to be gravestones that mark something that's died. They are to be places that encourage us, that gives us opportunity to tell again what God has done. So that when others ask, why are you a Christian? You've got something to say. When you have those personal and difficult moments, as we all get, when you get that little voice that says, so what has God ever done for you? You go back to your pile of stones and you say, this is what the Lord has done. Hallelujah. Let's... uh, Take a few moments tonight, perhaps, to remember those, those times. Perhaps a moment for you to give thanks to God again for what the Lord has done. Maybe a moment for us to say again, yes, Lord, you were with me then, and I want to be with you today. Maybe we find it difficult to look back to those places because of the, the sin and the failure that have got in the way. Maybe this is a day, this is a place where you can know again the forgiveness of God. A day to start again. To build your memorial as Joshua commanded.